Well, good morning again. Uh, glad that you're here. We are in a series called Did God Really Say? And this will be week three and final week of this series. Quickly, we'll review the last two weeks. Uh, first, we talked about Did God Really Say? You never give you more than you can handle. And when we thought about that, there's a verse that we've all probably said that, or many of us said that, and there's a verse that seems to say that, but when we looked at the verse, it really didn't say that. It said, temptation, not all of life. In fact, uh, we talked about the, co- the concept of theology. We all have a theology. We all have God thoughts. The question is, do we have good th- or, or correct God thoughts? And uh, so that was in a case where we overinterpreted uh, a, a Bible verse. And one way we have that dictates our theology, good or bad, is when we use circumstances. So we have talked about it's either our circumstances dictate what we believe about God, and that's not a good way to do it. Because <laughs> when bad things happen, we think God is bad, and of course God isn't bad, and vice versa. So a better way is to believe about God, let that dictate how you view your circumstances. So even in tragedy and illnesses and so forth, God, you're a loving, caring God, and, and you will, will be in the midst of this situation. But God did really say this. He'll never give you more than he can handle. In fact, sometimes we have more than we can handle so that we will depend upon him. So that was week, two weeks ago, and if you missed that or want to hear it again, it's on our website. And then last week, we talked about another important issue, did God really say, try harder? That's kind of the American work ethic, and we kind of apply that to take that, that and transfer it over into Christianity, which isn't accurate. And we talked about there's two kinds of faith, uh, a try harder faith, but a try harder faith is who, about who? It's about me trying harder. And then there's a come closer faith, that's about God. And I gave you this story about Mappy and Pappy Camp. <laughs> and uh, my wife comes up with these projects to do with the kids. And as I said last week, all right, first we had to collect sticks. Who collected the sticks? Pappy did. And then we had these in the garage. The kids came in and said, picked out which one they wanted and what size they wanted. And guess who cut the sticks into the right size? Pappy did. And then they all had bark on them that needed to be scraped off. That was the hardest part of this job. <laughs> so guess who scraped all the bark off the... And there was eight of these, by the way. (laughs) Uh, Pappy did. Now, the kids are with me. All right. Then they painted them. This one's Arden and Arden's, and Arden painted this one. And then my wife put this handle on, and then I'm supposed to varnish them. I haven't got to that yet. (laughs) It's only been uh, about five months. But anyway, uh, eventually Pappy will do that. But the point was the kids, the project was to do it with us. So what was important is they were with us as we were doing this project, not that they actually did it all. And that's the same thing with our faith. It's really important that we are with God, even though in reality, he does most of it, doesn't he? He's our power source. So he didn't say try harder. What does he say to us? He says to us, come closer. And isn't that the truth? Those of you who are parents or grandparents, isn't that what you want with your grandkids? You, you don't really care what they do for you. You just want them with you, right? And it's the same thing with God. So we've got a new topic today. Did God really say, and this one's a little different, you will never get past your past. Now, none of us would probably say that. There's no Bible verse that says that. Uh, you probably never heard a preacher say that. Uh, 
So we don't say that, but we often think that or act that way as if it was true. Uh, probably most of us have a somebody that we've kind of spiritually given up on. Maybe somebody you've prayed for for 10, 20, 30 years. And the reason you've kind of given up on them is why? Because of their past, their lifestyle, the way they've lived. And you just think, ah, that's never going to change. So we don't really teach this, but we actually believe this and we actually act this way. Now, we're all a result of our experiences, right? Uh, we talk about nature and nurture. Some of us, what we are, especially physically, is a result of genetics. But a lot about who we are is a result of our experiences, good and bad, through life has made us the person we are now. So consequently, we all carry baggage with us, don't we? Um, from those negative experiences in our, in our lives. It may be um, uh, a difficult uh, um, upbringing, you had a difficult time with your parents, it may have been something someone said to you, uh, a teacher, an employee, someone at church, hopefully not, but it could be, Uh, it could be uh, a failed marriage, it could be uh, uh, a child that's gone, a teenager that's gone wild, it could be a health issue, it could be a financial issue, Uh, there's just all kinds of stuff in our lives that made us who we are, and we all have these words that we've said to somebody that we wish he hadn't said, don't we? And we all have had situations where, oh, I just wished I had said whatever, and we didn't say it. So we have all these regrets and made us and, and, and failures in our past, and it made us the person we are today. Uh, there's all kinds of Bible examples. I love the Bible because the people in the Bible aren't perfect people, are they? That'd be pretty frustrating, right? Because I'm certainly not perfect. But all the people in the Bible that God used in great ways had really great baggage. They had large baggage. They had bad past, if you will. We can go back to the Old Testament and talk about people like uh, Jacob. Jacob's name meant schemer or deceiver. And that's exactly what he did to his brother. His brother wanted to kill him and had to run off, right? Eventually, God uses this guy his 12 kids, to be the 12 tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel. Uh, The 11th son is named Joseph. His brothers hated him so much they wanted to kill him. And God used him to eventually save his whole family and many other peoples from a famine. Uh, One of my favorites is uh, when when the Israelites are conquering Jericho, there's this lady there who's actually a prostitute who they save out of the town and Jesus becomes a descendant of hers. Now, Jesus could have been a descendant of anybody, right? And he chose to honor this lady, Rahab, by being uh, one of her descendants. David committed adultery and murder, and, and God used him to establish the nation of Israel in great victories. We get to the New Testament. We talk about Matthew a lot. He was a tax collector, which meant he was worst of the worst. And Jesus said, hey, I want you to be one of my followers, my disciples, and he wrote the, you know, the first book we have in the New Testament. Uh, Paul, he went around killing Christians and then God changed him. And then he became a great missionary and started all these churches and wrote almost half the New Testament. So all these people had great or infamous pasts, yet God used them in a great way because they didn't 
they did, they were able to get past their past. So we're going to start with this statement this morning. Every sinner, that means every person, because we're all sinners, every sinner has the promise and the potential for a future. I might say for a great future. But every sinner has a past too, don't they? And it might be a great or infamous past. And you might remember the traumatic event in your past. It might have been some big event, something that's happened to you. For most of us, it's probably a collection of things that have happened to us through our lives. So the question is, does God want us to be a product of those experiences, or does he have something greater in mind? So we're going to look at something that that guy Paul wrote, and it's in what's called 2 Corinthians. It's probably the third letter he wrote to this this church in Corinth that he actually started. And churches back then weren't any different than churches today. They had these... They had their issues and problems. And one of the issues he's addressing is the fact that people are trapped by their past. And we're going to pick it up in chapter 5, verse 15. Christ died for everyone. That's something that most of us probably believe. All right? He didn't just die for a few people or, you know, a select group of people. He died for everyone. Now, not everybody accepts the gift and gets reconnected with God through faith, but he died for everyone. It's available to everyone. So, but those who receive Christ, or this forgiveness and this salvation, receives new life. We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, in, in, in a few minutes. You no longer live for themselves. So this is pretty big change, right? Because everybody normally just lives for themselves. But when we experience this, this gift of grace and faith and salvation, our lives are radically changed. We are no longer the center of our lives. Who's the center of our lives? Well, it tells us. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. I try to think of an illustration of this. If somebody was going to shoot you and somebody runs in front of you and takes the bullet and dies, you're going to feel obligated to them. Now, the way our nature is, eventually you wouldn't, but at first you would feel obligated to them, right, or to their families. Well, it's a much greater way. We're obligated to God because he has provided for eternity for us and forgiveness for all our sins so we don't have to die spiritually and be separated from God. So that's why he starts off by talk, talking or writing, and then he says this. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Now, that's huge, isn't it? So part of this big change is, this new life is, that I stop evaluating people by a human point of view. Now, what's the human point of view? How do we evaluate people? By appearance, by personality, maybe by influence or power they have. Uh, There's lots of different ways we evaluate people or judge people. Now, I got to think about this. How would Jesus come out? if we evaluated him from a human point of view. The Bible says he wasn't a very handsome guy, wasn't anything special about his looks. His personality was kind of nice to some people, but he wasn't very nice to other people. So I don't know how personable he was. Um, The church people didn't like him much. (laughs) The unchurched people did like him. So Jesus, he wasn't rich. You know, he had these guys following him around. So he wouldn't have been very impressive by the human point of view. So we stopped evaluating. We started evaluating or seeing things from 
God's point of view, right? Whole different things. And part of that is we see that Jesus died for everyone. Everyone you and I run into, have contact with, is somebody that Jesus died for. No matter how uh, ugly they are, no matter how mean they are, no matter how far from God they are, Jesus died for them. And probably the most famous verse in this passage is the next verse, verse 17. This means... If you accept the gift of salvation in Christ and your life has been changed and you stop evaluating people uh, by human point of view, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become, again, there's that word, new person. They're not the same anymore. They're different. The old life is gone. The past is gone. A new life has begun. Now, we tend to believe three lies. We believe the lies of the people around us, what they say about us. We believe the lies of the, of the evil one, Satan, devil, whoever you want to call him. And he says, ah, God doesn't care about you and other things. And probably the worst lies we believe are the lies we tell ourselves, right? And I'm not any good. I'm not I'm worthless, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But what does God say about us? God says, I love you enough to send my son to die for you. I care deeply about you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to join my family and be one of my children so I can love on you and care for you. That's what God says. So when it says you're a new person, it doesn't say that you're a rehabbed person. It doesn't say that you are just turning over a new leaf. Best illustration I could come up with is this. We all have, nobody bought a new car this week, I guess. Maybe you did, but anyway, as long as your car is not new, it's not like going to the shop and getting it as fixed up as best that the mechanic can do, putting new parts on it, maybe a new point jo- paint job. It's not that. It's taking your car to the dealership and say, I want a new one, and they give you a whole different new car. So it doesn't have any of the, that, the past. It doesn't have any of the scratches, the bumps, the mechanical issues, the noises from the past. It's a brand new car. That's what, what, what's supposed to happen, what happens in you and I when we come in faith to Jesus Christ. The old is gone. So all those that bad, bad or past experiences are gone. The, the old way of thinking, the old way of looking at things, the old way of, of treating people, the old way, they're all gone. We have a new, th- new has begun. A new way of thinking, a new way of treating people. The old is gone, the new has come. And then he goes on to say, this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself. We're all separated from God. He does what, all he can do to bring us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling. That's the word we talked about last week. That's reconnecting with God. God gives us that task. That's our job. And then he says the same thing in the next verse. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, connect, reconnecting us with God, no longer counting people's sins against them. Now, how amazing is that? All your mistakes, all the things you and I have done wrong, God says, like, ah, never happened. Gonna wipe it all out because of Jesus. So that's how theologically. <laughs> We get past our past. It's not so easy, easy said than done. 
And we'll talk about some ways to do it practically here in a minute. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we're no longer enemies of God. And our message isn't complicated. I tell people, you just tell, say what you used to be like, and now what you're like. The old is gone, new has come. And if there isn't an old and a new, then you probably haven't come into a reconnection with God. Now, sometimes we talk about the wrath of God and the grace of God being opposites, and they're really not. God is angry, or God's wrath is against anything that separates us from Him. So that's why God hates sin, because it separates us from Him, those who love. Just like you would be angry with anything that came between you and your children, right? So that makes God angry. But what God, when God is angry, He doesn't punish us. He loves us and provides the means for us to be reconnected. In fact, his wrath was poured out on Jesus, so it didn't have to be poured out on you and I, right? Now, if you don't accept his gift, eventually that wrath will be poured out on you. But if you're a Jesus follower here this morning, it's not. So nothing that you and I have done in our past can compare to God's grace. So, that being the truth, why is it so difficult for us to get through our past? Our, get past our past. Well, let's talk about that for a few minutes. How do, how do we get past our past? Number one, we're going to talk about three categories of past. First is labels. We all deal with labels or nicknames. Um, some of you don't know me very well. This is the most I've ever weighed in my whole entire life. So most of my life I weighed less than this. So especially like in school, I got called names like Beanpole and those kind of things, uh, kind of derogatory things. It was hurtful to me as a child to hear those kind of things, and you all have your, your, your things too, I'm sure. And we've probably been called things that I can't repeat up here, but we've also been called things that are, that are, my wife calls me hubby and hubs, and that's endearing, and that, they're nice things to hear. In fact, I got one, I got a friend of mine, here, he's here this morning, called me an alien last week. Uh, a little explanation, I just ran this 50 miles without much training, only an alien could do that, right? But anyway, uh, so we, we have all these labels that we have to deal with. So how do we deal with them? Let me give you three, three things to do. First, exchange the lies of the crowd for the truth of God. The interesting thing about these guys, these folks in the Bible when they went from their old life to new, God changed their names, which is really cool. Like Ab- Abraham was Abram. When he became Abraham, Abraham meant father of a great nation, and he was the father of a whole Jewish nation. Jacob's name got changed to Israel. Uh, Paul's, na- Paul's name was Saul and got changed to Paul. Simon Peter, his name was Simon. He got changed to Peter, which meant the rock that Jesus was going to build his church on. So when the old was passed and the new came, he changed their name. So, we can either believe our names from, from our past, the labels that people put on us, or the names that God gives us. Now, what does God call us? Uh, if you read the first part of Ephesians, God says you're chosen, you're uh, uh, a prince, you're a priest, you're uh, a princess, uh, you're loved, you're cared for, etc., etc., etc. So, you and I choose. Are we going to believe the names the lies of other people, are we going to believe the names of God? Secondly, trade 
Expectations based on our past for God's purposes. All of us have had expectations placed on us by others. All of us have placed expectations on ourselves. And we can either live by those expectations and fail by those expectations, or we can choose to live by God's purpose. Some of you at this point in your life may have had this expectation of having a, a spouse and three kids and a dog and a picket fence. And you may have some of those or none of those. Uh, you may have had this, this expectation of being happily married and now you're no longer married. Uh, expectation of kids and you don't have any children. Expectation of being in some place in your profession. And you might not even be in that profession. You may be in some other profession. There's a, a Bible verse that says, uh, all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. So we can live according to God's purpose for our lives or we can live according to those expectations. Uh, thirdly, dealing with labels, amplify the voice of God over the voice of the crowd. And I talked about this last week. If you're on a sports team, there's your coach's voice, but then there's voices from the crowd. And who are you going to listen to? Whoever's the loudest or whoever's the wisest. And it's usually not the same, is it? And the Bible talks about God sometimes has a still, small voice. The people will be screaming at you, but what does God really say about you? So that's one way we, the three ways we can deal with labels. I'm going to give you kind of a summary statement of each of these. No label is too sticky for God's grace. There's nothing that you've been called and nothing you think about yourself that God's grace can't erase. I want to pray about each of these as we go along, so let's pray. Father God, I don't know the labels of the folks here, but you do, and some of them are very hurtful. God, help them, help us to get past those labels to realize that your grace is greater. In Jesus' name, amen. Second issue that we deal with when trying to get past our past is our failures, and we all have failures in our life. Saul, we talked about him, became Paul Killing other Christians, that's a pretty big failure to get past, isn't it? Yet God used him in a great way. So let me give you three, three things dealing with failures. Number one, stop running and start heading home. We use the story of the prodigal son. Most of you probably know that story. This guy doesn't like his dad. He wishes his dad would die so he can get his money. And dad gives him the money anyway. He runs off. He spends it all. He winds up starving. Then he realizes his dad is a compassionate person. He may not accept him back as a son, but at least he wouldn't let him starve. So he goes back home. As soon as his dad sees him, what happens? If you know the story, the dad runs to him. And I say it this way, no matter how far you've gone away from God, it's always only one step back. And the word we use for that is repent, repentance. Repentance is just turning around. Saying, God, I don't want anything to do with you. Yes, God, I want to be connected with you. That's repentance. It's not some bad feeling or, or working up some emotion. That's what repentance is. So stop running and start heading home. Stop running from your past. Secondly, stop hiding and let God in. we back to Adam and Eve. You know, when they messed up, what did they do? They went and hid. It's kind of silly. Your, your little ones will do the same thing, right? <laughs> when they do something bad. Uh, but they're not out of your reach and they weren't out of God's reach and God had to kill an animal. Something had to die to pay for their sin and eventually Jesus had to die to pay for our sin. What I see people sometimes aren't hiding but they're not letting God in. They're kind of keeping God at a distance and as a pastor it really 
it really hurts me because I see people, they could have so much more, but they want the stuff out there, and so they, you know, they show up on Sunday, check off the religion box, and then they go about their life during the week. It's kind of like uh, if you're on a sports team and you play the first minute and then leave. <laughs> uh, you got a taste, but you didn't really get to experience the whole experience. And so don't let, keep God at a distance. When you follow, don't follow God at a distance. Follow as close as possible. And thirdly, drop the weight of shame and pick up the freedom of Christ. There's godly sorrow and there's shame. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, all right? God, I'm sorry. I want to change. Uh, and asking and receiving God's forgiveness. Shame causes us to run, causes us to hide, causes us to not draw close to God. Big, big difference. Uh, forgiveness isn't a feeling. Forgiveness is, is accepting the freedom that comes in Christ. Can you outrun God's grace? All these guys we talked about in the Bible. If anybody could outrun God's grace, it certainly would have been Paul or David or somebody, right? You can't outrun God's grace. So let's sum it up this way. Failure is never final nor fatal. It wasn't for Paul. It wasn't for Peter. Denied Christ three times. It wasn't fatal. Became the leader of the church. And it's not for you or I. So let's pray about our failures. God, we all have lots of these. Some bigger than others. Some more devastating than others. God, help us to understand that they're not fatal. They're not final. Because of your grace, no matter what our past is like, you can do and desire to do great things in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. And thirdly, this is a biggie. One reason we have trouble getting past our past is our hurts. And we... These are things other people have done to us, other people, the way people have treated us, what people have said about us, even what people thought about us. We all have these to one to a greater degree or another. These are things others have done to us. So how do we get past our hurts? Number one, firstly, don't lose sight of what Jesus did for you because of what somebody else did to you. It's so easy for that hurt to just kind of dominate your life. And what Jesus has done for you is greater than what anybody else could have done against you. Uh, We're going to be talking about the incarnation, obviously, in the month of December, Jesus coming to earth. We don't really appreciate the incarnation enough, I don't believe. That Jesus would leave the glories of heaven and take on one of these bodies and deal with the garbage of living here on earth for 33 years and then suffering and dying. I've got a sister-in-law that's just telling me she's going to India in a couple weeks for her best friend to visit her family in rural, rural India. And the way she described there's no heat, no hot water, and no toilets. And I could tell how difficult somebody growing up in America, this is going to be for two weeks, Right? Now, as difficult as that could be for her for two weeks, it's nothing compared to God coming to, leaving the glories of heaven and coming down here to earth for 33 years. So no matter what you've dealt with in your life, and I'm not belittling any of your hurts, because some of them have been, been, been extreme, been massive maybe. Don't lose sight of the greater thing God's did for you. God's sacrifice is greater than your or my hurt. Secondly, 
Let your scars tell the story of redemption. We all have scars. Physical scars, I have a big one on my leg. I told you about getting hit by a car when I was six. Uh, Emotional scars. But let God use them to tell your story. And we're going to let somebody now that's uh, uh, we baptized tell her story through her uh, testimony. My name is Lauren Mills. Um, I am married with two daughters. I have a five-year-old and a one-year-old. Now, my oldest daughter's name is Kara, and my one-year-old is Emma Lynn. Um, I did grow up going to church. My life has been hard. <laughs> I've had a lot of tragedies, a lot of struggles. By the time I turned 12, I had lost my father, two brothers, um, and both of my biological grandfathers. And just being part of a blended family after all of that, um, you're dealing with that. Um, through all of it, it it was very hard. I felt very alone. I wasn't sure if anyone really cared. If it even matter if I was here or not. When I finally accepted Jesus as my Savior and accepted that gift, it was just this huge weight lifted off of me. I felt peace. I didn't feel alone anymore. And I look back on it now and realize that God was the strength that got me through those times. The comfort and and the joy and just knowing that someone does care and that He he is there for me. It's been a huge life change. I drove past here every day going to work um, and I just felt like God laid it on my heart that this is where I was supposed to come. Um, so I gave it a chance uh, one Sunday morning last fall, and um, I love it here. I absolutely love it. I feel like everything, um, every sermon, it's like it, it relates to my life. I learn something new. I feel connected uh, to, to God. I feel connected with everyone that comes here. I feel like everyone cares. Um, a good environment. I really feel I learn every something every Sunday that I come that I can apply to me. Wherever, wherever God sees for me to go, I'm ready. So, Lauren, upon your public profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, in obedience to His command, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mary, your own life. Lauren's not here this morning. Um, her, one of her children is sick. Uh, you might pray for her. Uh, she is uh, um, pregnant also and struggling with some health issues. So thank you for her testimony. She does not let her past determine her future. And neither should we, but we should let those scars be part of our story. And lastly, we just about finished, replace your bitterness with forgiveness. We all have a choice. We can live in bitterness, resentment, anger, 
or forgiveness, the freedom of forgiveness. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean it's, it's, it's okay or I'm feeling okay or uh, it's going to even be okay or the even reconciliation. It means giving up the right to get even. And let's conclude this with this statement. Forgiven people, forgive people. I'm never going to have to forgive anybody else anywhere as near as much as God has already forgiven me. So let's pray about hurts. Father God, thank you that your son hurt for us and his hurt was greater than any hurt we might have. Not to belittle our hurts, but God, uh, it's your desire for us to use them to minister to others, to tell our stories. How once we were in bitterness and now we're set free. Thank you in Jesus' name. So whether you're struggling with labels, failures from your past, or past hurts, God didn't say you couldn't get past your past. In fact, Jesus died so we could get past our past. So you could be, old could be gone, and new can come. Part of that, though, the way he's designed that is for you and I to get past our past. He doesn't want us to do it alone. Lauren said she wasn't alone when she had Jesus, but that's what the church is about. And we talk to you over and over again about being in community. The best way to heal is in community. Next week, going to be December, three weeks till Christmas, we're going to talk about a new series called The Advent. Hopefully you can join us. And since we don't have music this morning, I'm going to pray and dismiss you, and so we'll collect your uh, your cards at the back. The guys will be standing in the back. All right? So hopefully we'll see you next week. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. We thank you for all that you have to say about us and to us and for us and do through us. And God, I would just pray that in, in our tragedies, they would become uh, stories of redemption. They would be stories that would help other people get reconciled or get reconnected with you. Uh, just been through Thanksgiving, Christmas is coming up. We normally think of these as happy time, but for some folks, they're not. Uh, they've missed someone, or maybe they feel alone. And God, so we pray that we can come alongside them. And uh, together, we can celebrate uh, the fact that you loved us enough to send your son to earth. Not just send him to earth, but send him to earth to ultimately suffer and die. We want to thank you for our opportunity to worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.